Amen. Well, grab a Bible and join us in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 10 this morning. Hope you got a Bible and you're making your way there. If you did not bring one, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you. Grab one of those. Use an electronic device if you want to follow along in the Bible app. Uh, one way or another, we invite you to the Word of God. If you're joining us online or in the overflow, same invitation, have a Bible. On Sunday mornings, we make our way verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. That's where we are, and we're certainly inviting you into that space. But even in the midst of that, for the last few weeks, we have slowed down to a crawl in uh, a few verses that we focused on a place where God has described spiritual warfare to us. If you've been with us, you've, you've been in the midst of that. Today, we draw that section to a close and, and kind of want to round out those things that are there, longing that God would speak it into our lives in a way that would just make it effective, make it effective into the things that He has for us. And, and so, kind of as we look over that, I thought we'd do what we did the first week we started this, and I want to invite you to grab hold of your Bible and stand, if you would, for just a moment. Some traditions in church history do this in a way that at this moment we read the Word of God and you stand in a moment to give respect. And so just stepping into that, I want to invite you just to follow along and just hear the verses that we're going to cover this morning and long that God would meet it in our lives. So it begins there in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Amen. God make it so. You can be seated. Let's pray and ask that God would draw us into this right now. Father, we read these words and cover this section, and I ask, Lord, would you meet us this morning? Would you teach us in a way that helps us understand this passage, but does more? Strengthen us in this. Cause us to be able to walk with reality in the battle that you tell us we're fighting. I believe in the power of your word to do that work inside of us. You tell us that your word is a, like a sharp two-edged sword. And then it does that work piercing all the way down between the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, transforming us, changing us from the inside out. Yes, please. Now, would you help us to hear what you're saying to us individually and in this moment work. We ask for it now as we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For the win. You maybe recognize that phrase. It's a great phrase. Now, honestly, in our weird kind of sarcastic culture growing in many ways, it's actually become a little bit of a snarky comment in, in some social media and stuff like that, that it is actually kind of a mocking kind of reality. But maybe you know that's not how it began. For the win is a term that sportscasters would give on radio and, and television as they would be broadcasting and, and you know, kind of talking about what's happening in a game. And when a moment happened, a play, if you will, a score that happened that sealed the deal, 
I mean, when that happened, it's over. It's over. They would just say, and that happened for the win. Like that moment, I mean, there might be time left on the clock. It doesn't matter. Like that happened. The game is over. I mean, it is done because this happened for the win. I want you to think through that reality, and we find ourselves coming into this conclusion of talking about spiritual warfare for the win. We want to talk about what that's doing. We want to talk about where that's going and, and, and where we go with that in a way that God would bring that reality to you and to me. Well, before we get into the verse that we're going to talk about this morning, it would be helpful to quickly give us a, a quick rearview glance at what we've seen. If you've been with us over the last three studies before this, we've looked at a reality that reminded us that we really are involved in a spiritual war. The Bible tells us much about this, enough for us to know that the, the real things that are working within our lives and culture today, that's by far the greatest impact. Paul would tell us in Ephesians 6 that, we, you know, we, we, the, that we're not really warring with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That that which is determinative and, and working, the, the greatest enemy of your soul right now, it's not politics, it's not, not you know, media, it's, it's not, uh, you know, power brokers in any sense of our world. No, there is a spiritual war that is affecting that. And he's invited us to see that, and if we see that, to fight that battle with spiritual weapons. Yeah, we saw that. Go back and see it in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, that is, we're human, we have skin, we, we live this life here, that's not how we war. We do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not human. They're not fleshly. But they are mighty in God. We're invited to understand that the battle that we're facing is meant to be fought spiritually. The battle that we're facing is meant to be tackled with the things that are of God, His power, His might, through prayer, through the Word of God, and more, that we fight these battles not with natural weapons, but spiritual weapons. And if we do that, it's meant to do a few things. It's meant to pull down things that are against knowing God. Notice as it says it there again in verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that keeps us from knowing God. And he, and he puts those in those three categories that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Strongholds, places where souls are barricaded against him. Lies that would be, you know, opposite of the truth of God and keeping people away from him. And arrogance. Every high thing that exalts itself. That is that we are warring against it. Those are the things that he's telling us in Christ that we need to deal with that are robbing souls, robbing our soul of things that God has for us. And as we do that, as we pull those things down, as we deal uh, as decisively as we can against the lies that would rob us from what God has for us, then last week we saw what it told us there uh, at the end of verse 5, that we're bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. One of the things we've talked about every week is that ultimately this battle is a battle for our minds. It is a battle for how we see things, that Satan is a liar 
And, and, and so we're fighting against that. And we talked about last week how that we make that our focus, that we can actually fight the battle at the, at the root cause and, and deal with thoughts long before they ever become actions, long before they ever become words. And he's told us that's where the battle lies. It really is, and, and I don't know where that's landed for you. For some of you, you knew this already. I mean, it was already a part of your world and saw it. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, I, I, I'm seeing this better than I've ever seen it. I hope so. I hope in one sense it's there. I know this, if you have, you would walk through it even this week and go, man, <laughs> that was a part of my week. That was a part of my week. We were fighting for thoughts. We were fighting for a battle. We, were, we certainly were working in that regard. Well, this morning we picked that up where we've covered. Again, if you missed any of that, that's online. You can get it off our website or YouTube and kind of catch that so you can be up to this moment. Because now having talked about tearing those things down, about bringing thoughts into captivity, we want to talk about where it's going. And if we can say it again within the theme that we're kind of using this morning, for the win, it's obedience. It's the obedience of Christ. Well, that's what he tells us. That's what he tells us we're doing as we capture those thoughts at the end of verse 5. We're bringing those to the place that we could find obedience in the obedience of Christ. It probably makes sense, and maybe I don't need to spend a bunch of time on it, but in some ways, this is the positive aim of that spiritual warfare. There really is a flow, and if you could kind of think about it this way, we're dealing with lies. We're dealing with things that would rob us. We're dealing with things that would barricade our soul. Then we're capturing thoughts uh, that are wrong because we really want now not just to not do the wrong thing, but do the right thing, uh, to find ourselves moving into obedience, to doing what God has for our life. And so at this moment, we're not just saying, hey, I don't want to do the wrong thing. I want to do the right thing. Now, the interesting thing is that many times, probably most times when God is inviting you into that space of battle in your own life, there really is that connection that is meant to go all the way from disobedience to obedience. Now, we find it in a number of passages. Maybe it's helpful if I give it to you in this one. In Ephesians, I like the way he talks about the same struggle. He says it this way, that we put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. A bunch of really cool stuff that's found in those verses, but I want you just to make sure you're seeing the same pattern that we're putting off. We're saying no to the old man. We're saying no to the lies that have robbed us and would rob us, and we're being renewed. We're taking our thoughts captive. We're, we're, we're beginning to say, God, I want to walk in what's new. And then we're going to take that all the way to obedience and saying, God, I want to put on the new man. I want to be what I'm supposed to be. I, I want to be what I'm supposed to be in Christ. And, and the interesting thing, again, is God works that so often it is that. In fact, he goes on to give a few examples of, of ways that that would work. It's obviously not meant to be, uh, you know, the whole list but if you follow the examples, you'll kind of see again, of course, that's how he's wanting to do it. So he'd say it this way, we're going to put away lying and let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We're going to stop this. If you're, if you're lying, stop lying. Like put that away, but don't just stop lying, but move to where you're intentionally trying to say, I want to be a person who speaks truth. I, I want to be a person who, whose words are known as true. I want uh, the positive side of this. Or he would go on to say, let him who steal, stole, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, 
working with his own hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. So he says, if you're stealing, like you should stop. Like that's a bad deal, that's sinful, and he wants you to, to, to put away those things that are, that are destructive, but don't just stop that. Move to where you become a giver, to, to where what used to be, hey, I deserve, I, I want, it's all about me. I want to come to where I'm trying to be a blessing to other people, that I want to, I want to move all the way to a place of obedience. He would say it this way, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. Maybe God's dealing with your language. Maybe you know, literally cursing and letting corrupt words flow out of your mouth and God's like, no, stop that. Like that's, that's not pleasing to me. That's not what I want. And you're like, yeah, I want to stop that. I don't, I don't want to speak that way anymore. And you shouldn't. But don't just stop there. Go all the way to say, I want to be a blessing. I want my words to impart grace I, 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 want, I don't want it to be cursing. I want it to be blessing. And so when God does a work in our life of, of, of a spiritual war, it's not just stopping the bad. It's going all the way to this place that he's bringing us into what he has for our lives, which he's describing here as obedience. Obedience, it's probably worth just noting, it is obviously obedience, which is obedience to Christ. The Bible calls it that way, by the way. It would say it this way in the, in the book of Hebrews. Having been perfected, speaking of Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Like we're going to become those who say yes to him. We could spend a bunch of time on this, but it really would probably be a distraction. The Bible actually uses this term for salvation. It says that part of becoming saved is we're obedient to the faith that we're now saying yes to God. <laughs> we're saying yes to him and, and, and listening to him. That's certainly something he has for us, and it is a mark of someone who's a follower of Jesus. But the goal of that is that we actually live that out. So Peter would give it to us this way. He says, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former less as in your ignorance. Like, don't be that disobedient person anymore. You want to come to this place of obedience. And so certainly that is something that God longs for in our life. And again, we could spend a bunch of time talking about it. Um, I think Romans 6 does a great job that lets us know that in some ways, it's important that you understand you are obeying something. I realize right now there is this sinfulness or rebellion that sometimes crops up in our hearts. And I'm talking about obedience. And for some of you, the hackles just went up. It's like, I'm not going to be obedient to anybody. Yes, you are. You're obedient to something, either you're obedient to sin or you're obedient to Christ. It really is, in some ways, that simple. That you're obedient to your own flesh and your own ways, or you're going to say, I want to move it to where I'm going to say yes to Jesus, where I want to say yes to his life. And so when we use the word obedience, it is that. But it is more. It is so much more. Did you catch it? I know some of you did. I know some of you, got, you caught it, but go back and see the exact way he words it. He says it there at the end of verse 5, we're bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience, and catch the preposition, of Christ. It's of Christ. Of? Well, yeah, that's in Christ, but it's also by Christ. There's a reality here of understanding what we even said in song a moment ago, that the strength to follow his commands could only come from him that the only way that we could ever do that, the only way that we could ever have that is if Jesus gives it to us, that we walk in this because he's helping us in that space. We think about that promise from Jesus that would say, where he said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yeah, the picture is profound, and we've talked about it recently, even in recent days, a yoke being this wooden implement that we you know, connect two oxen and, and, and plowing the field together. Jesus, in the, plow, in, the, in the road of obedience, is saying, hey, come with me, and I'll be the strength. I'll be the one that would help you do that. I'll be the one that would help you walk in that. I'll be the one that would help you, you know, be able to do that. In fact, I think about what Jesus would say in John 15, abide in me, and I in you is the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. Obedience is what God has for us, saying yes to him, walking in his ways. But Jesus is really clear about that. You can't have this without him. There's not any sense that you could say, okay, I'm really going to do it this time. Like, I'm, I'm really going to, you know, like, there's no way to have that outside of him. That what he's inviting us into is what only he can supply and he will supply. The life that God has for you is to be what we just said in song, that last song, it's yet not I. It's Christ, through Christ in me. Of course I can't do this without him. The obedience that he has for me is that. And we can spend a bunch of more time on it, but it's enough just to know what it is. Yes, it's doing the right thing. Doing the right thing by and in and for Christ. As we talk about that, please understand where we we landed last week, right at the end of the message. And I just talked about it this way in a very simple way of saying, this is really, really good. You really, really want this. Uh, It's life-giving. Jesus said it this way. He says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come. And that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Sin, our world, the devil, and everything else that comes in as a thief. It doesn't come to do you good. It comes to rob from you, hurt you, destroy you. That's just absolutely clear. But Jesus isn't doing that. He says, I want to give you life. It's a really good life. It's an abundant, good life. We want it. We should want it. In fact, if you were with us last week, we talked about it in Romans 12, where we said, in some ways, it's saying the same thing, talking about the same battle that we're describing here, where it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hey, don't be conformed. Don't let this world, don't let lies, don't let the devil press you into what they have for you. Don't let that be what it is. Instead, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let God change who you are by changing the way you think, taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you'll do this, if you're not going to be conformed and you'll be transformed, that'll bring you into obedience. That'll bring you into that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's a great description. I hope you believe it. I hope you would understand right now what God is wanting to bring you into, this obedience, this saying yes to him, it is really, really good. It is acceptable or pleasing, pleasing to God, pleasing to us. In fact, it's perfect. You just can't get better than perfect. What would be perfect for your life is to walk in what God has for you. Boy, that's what we want. That's what we should want. That's what, in one sense, we're being invited to war for. That in this spiritual war that you and I are facing, 
Like, we want to say, God, I want this. This is why I want to fight against the lies because I want to come into the obedience of Christ. I want to have all that that is, certainly this morning as we dive into this. But we're seeing that. We're, we're seeing what that is. Well, as we are, one of the other things we need to talk about, having that established, that we're aiming for obedience, that we're trying to see what obedience is, we want to talk about a certain amount of boldness that's in this text, or an obedient boldness, I will describe it as, and again, this isn't new, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, one of the things we've talked about is that this war is not just personal. We're not just talking about fighting the war in your own heart, though it is in your own heart, and you do need to fight it there. It is a war that ultimately we're seeking to be an influence into other people's lives as well, and that's how Paul has written it. In this section, if you've been with us, Paul, who had planted this church in the city of Corinth, uh, is traveling. He's taking the gospel into other cities and other regions, but he's heard about these problems, and so he's writing them this letter. And in this letter, he is warning them and telling them, I'm willing to go to war for you. I'm willing to enter into the spiritual war in your life. Back up and see it. Go back up there to verse 2. It says, but I beg you, that when I am present, I may not be bold. With that confidence with which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to flesh. Paul's telling him, hey, I'm coming. You know, I'm coming back to the city and I hope I don't have to deal with this when I get there. I'm hoping I don't have to, but if I do, I will. If I do, I will be bold towards you. I will be bold to wage war against what the lies are in your life. In fact, he'll go on to say it in chapter 13. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness. According to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification, not for destruction. It's a little bit of a warning, right? It's a little bit of a, boy, I hope you guys deal with this because if you don't, I will. Um, in the back of my mind, I kind of hear that, you know, parent in the front seat of the car, like, you guys better stop because if I have to pull over, you're going to regret it, you know, kind of thing. If I, if we, if that has to, if if this has to get there, you're not going to enjoy, I mean, it's kind of a little bit of that flavor to it, right? That he's saying that, that, that space in that, and he's inviting you and I to do that. He's telling us that if we're thinking about spiritual war, Yes, we're waging against the lies in our own lives, but we should be waging those lies against other people's lives as well. How do you do that? I mean, I I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe right now you're thinking about it right now. There's somebody in your family. Maybe somebody that you know as a friend. Maybe somebody in this room right now. And you're worried about them. You're worried about where they are. You're worried about what's happening. And he's inviting us to say this war is something we should wage for them. How do we do that? Well, let me give it to you very, very practically. First and foremost, if you believe it, you're going to pray for them. Uh, If you believe it, and if you believe that it's a spiritual war, when you see somebody else struggling, you'll pray for them. I like the way it's given to us in 1 John. It says, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give uh, give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. We'll talk about what that is, a sin leading to death in just a moment, but he says, as long as it's not that, and we see it, we're going to pray for him. 
says, if you see it, you see that that's happening in somebody's life, he says, you should be praying for them. Now, maybe you are. Maybe I'm saying something that's like, of course, Jim, that's, that's us. We're like good Christian people. I don't know who you think you're talking to. Well, it's for first service, right? And so some of them are going to get this message. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, here's the thing. It probably happened this week, right? Maybe it was in your family. Maybe you're at a restaurant and, and, and you saw or heard another Christian doing poorly. Uh, maybe you saw something today. Uh, you saw something in somebody, like they just their countenance wasn't right. Maybe they were rude. Uh, maybe they were a little bit angry. Here's my question. What'd you do with that? Now, here's what you should not have done. You shouldn't just judge or complain or gripe like these Christians, I tell you. To call themselves a Christian. I can't, did you see the way they treated their wife? Man, I just would never. Don't do that. What you should do is pray. I mean, it should be like, God, they're having a hard time. There's an enemy. He's after them. I know there's a war for them, and I'm going I'm to step into that battle right now for them. That, that my, my first response is to go to war for them and say, God, you, would, you, would you take down those things that are captured? Would you bring them? Would you, would you help them? I, I'm recognizing there's a war for them, and prayer is powerful. I mean, we are meant to be a praying people, and praying for each other should be what we do. And if you believe it's powerful, if you believe it's really a war that's trying to hurt other people around you, you won't just, you know, kind of mockingly look at them or talk about them. You will pray for them. I invite you to do that. I hope you are. I hope you do that. I hope you do it for me. I hope you do it for others. Hey, you see something, you're like, hey, they're, they're, okay. they look like they're having a hard time. I'm a pride. That's going to be a motivation to say, I know the war. And I know they need help. Most of the time, that's our greatest space. That's what 1 John says. When you see that, you can just pray for them. But sometimes it goes further. Sometimes it requires confronting them. Uh, Jesus would say it this way. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. I like that passage in 1 John because it helps me. He says, if you see your brother sending a sin, it's not leading to death. I would say, you know, it's not rebellious lifestyle. They've made a choice and they're staying in it kind of thing. You can just pray for them. But once they've made that cross, once they are doing something that is now rebellious and, and, they're, and they're doing something that, you know, totally is, is going to destroy them, even just, you know, fear for, for where their soul is, that's a space that takes that next step. And if we love people enough, we confront them. And he says, you should just do this, you and them. Like, don't go tell every, all your neighbors, don't go tell your family, just go talk to them and, and bring spiritual weapons. Bring the word of God, bring prayer, and just sit down and say, I love you, I love you enough to say, boy, it looks like you're not doing, like this is really clear, this is really clear. And, and wait, where you are is not right. We should do that. We should do that. We should absolutely do that. But sometimes even that won't work. That would take it all the way to a space of church discipline. Jesus in that same passage in Matthew 18 just goes on and says, okay, you're going to take others. And if that doesn't work, he says, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. He says, there's a space where you're going to say, okay, if somebody's living a life of sin and they won't turn and they won't turn, you're going to confront them. You go with others and then you're going to say, okay, we're going to treat, in our eyes, you're an unbeliever. In our eyes, uh, we're going we're to see you as a tax collector. We're going to see you as a, a, as a heathen. You're, you're not considered a follower of Jesus. 
that's an important part of church life. In fact, Paul had already done that in the city of Corinth. There's a man who was living an openly rebellious life, just uh, sleeping with his stepmom, and, and it says, he says, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It's a serious deal, but the love of Christ requires it. It requires us at times to, to be willing to make that step, such bold steps, such war, if, it, if we're really waging a spiritual war, is that. Now, that raises a bunch of questions, which we're not even going to dive into all the answers. It's just enough for us to know that's certainly a part of our text. Paul is telling them, if I need to, if I need to, I'm going to deal with this when I get there. He doesn't spell it out. Maybe he's just saying, I'm going to confront you. Like, I'm going to take you aside, and you and I, we're going to have words. Like, we're going to have biblical words, and we're going to come out. Maybe it's a threat all the way to, uh, you know, church discipline. Uh, and, and that's a, a part of life for us. It's been a part of our church. It will continue to be a part of our church. In space, there's a space in doing war against sin where that kind of uh, boldness is absolutely needed. And all of us are invited to be a part of that Hands down, making sure that I don't make anything unclear. That's a part of this. That's a part of, of, of this spiritual war. But here's my question. Is that all that's being held out to us here in verse 6? And just go back and see it as he tells it to us in verse 6. He says, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I want to be really honest with you, and I, and I just want to be really clear about this. I love this whole section. I've enjoyed it for a long time, but I've, I've had questions. Like, I wonder why it says it that way, and I wonder what it's, I mean, I just wondered. It's been something I've been interested in, and the last few weeks I've dived into it in some different ways. Maybe I'd seen it before. I don't know. Sometimes it works that way in my brain. Like, I think I discover something new, and then it's like, no, you already knew that. I don't know if that makes any sense, but uh, it's just kind of the way it works sometimes. But I honestly found myself just approaching it in a different direction. And, and then thinking through some different thoughts, I, I began to read and said, has anybody else gone this direction? And again, I want to be really clear about this. I read dozens of commentators and, and th that this week. Most of them don't go into a lot of detail on it. Even those who did, very few went where I'm going to go with this. Very few. Now, I'm just telling this to you to be absolutely upfront and honest because that's a deep concern for me. Uh, it's a deep concern to think, okay, it's, it's certainly like, I don't want to be like, I see something that others haven't. I mean, others have seen it, um, and I definitely don't want to ever communicate anything wrong. So I'm just giving you enough forewarning to say, I want you to think about a thought, but I want to just, before I you know, jump out on this limb, I just want to warn you, you don't have to follow me. <laughs> you know, like, like if you're like, no, Jim, I think, this is, I think I'll stay here. I think you know, maybe I'll look and say, okay, I think it's just, you know, this whole passage is just ending with this kind of warning of church discipline, uh, of warning of, of, of dealing with that firmly. And if that's where you land, you would be in good company, and I want to give you freedom to stay there. That said, for me, there is another nugget that really helped me uh, in my study this, this last couple weeks, and I think it's going to be helpful in my life moving forward. And if I can give it to even one person, then I think it's enough because it's true. Even if, it's, even if you kind of come at it and say, Jim, I'm not sure this is in that text, I would give it to you. But everything I'm going to say right now is certainly true. It's just a question of whether God's telling that here. 
Okay, so clear enough, right? So you're gonna, don't just believe me, think it through and see if you see it in the text. So what do we wanna talk about? Well, I wanna talk about disobedience that he says is going to be an obedience that's fulfilled. And the simple thought I wanna put to you is what if, maybe, he's drawing our attention to the end of the war that you and I are fighting? What if in this wording, he's, he's inviting us to see something of where this is going? Why would I think that? What would give me reason to think about it? Well, there's a few things. For starters, I'm noticing the word punish. Did you see it there in verse 6? It says we're being ready to punish all disobedience. Biblical question. Christian, are you supposed to punish people for their sin? Are you and I in the space that God has mandated to us to be those who punish. Convict, yes. Confront, yes. Punish? Well, I would put to you that's something that God tells us he's going to do. In fact, in Romans 12, it takes this same word, this Greek word that's translated here, punish, and it uses it for avenge or vengeance. Say it to us this way. It says, beloved, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So again, the Bible's written in Greek, and so it's translated into English, and the word that's translated punish is the same word that's translated avenge or vengeance. So if you wanted to read it that way, just replace those two words with that idea of punishment. So God would say, beloved, do not punish. Don't punish people yourselves. Rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Punishment is mine. I will repay, God says. That God is telling us that he's the one that is going to, and he is going to. Like, all sin is going to be punished, and he's going to do that. So that gives me pause. Then the all-inclusive words kind of catch me. I, I just, I look at the words, and he says it there in verse 6, where he says, being ready to punish, notice with me, all disobedience. All all. All? That's everything. It's not just big things, not just super rebellious things. God says, every disobedience is about to be punished. That seems like a big deal to me. And again, if I were taking it out of any other text and I asked you, so when is all disobedience going to be punished? And you would probably rightly answer, that's what's happened when Jesus comes back. That's what happens. That's, that's the end. That's what happens when Jesus is coming back and the wrath of God is poured out and all disobedience is going to be punished. I would think you're right. Add to that, notice how he says it, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Fulfilled, that's a great word. It means complete. It means at the top, like fully done. It speaks of your obedience being perfected and having full and complete obedience. Now, I don't know about you. That was not my week. I, I, don't, th I don't think there's, any, there's nobody here in this room who's like, that's me. I did everything right. Everything. I did. I am perfect. No, we're not right now. We, if we go like, when is that going to happen? When Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, obedience is going to be fulfilled. So it gives me pause thinking, I wonder if he's kind of feeding that in there. Then add to it the timing words. So he gives us this thought that he says, okay, we're being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is, gonna, is fulfilled. 
So when is disobedience going to be punished? When is all disobedience going to be punished? When obedience is fulfilled. There's a time element that says that punishment is coming when this other thing is there. If verse 6 is entirely about church discipline, it really raises a little bit of some weird questions. Uh, several commentators who do believe that it was talking about church discipline tried to figure that out and, and honestly left me more confused than helped. It's like, so what? You can't do church discipline till everybody's on board? I mean, like, you got to get every, you got to be a consensus of every, I mean, it's a weird thing out of a space to say that there's a when moment that would honestly, I don't know where that goes, and it just didn't make sense to me, but when I began to think the when is then, well, that begins to make sense to me. In fact, I like the word ready. He says, being ready to punish all disobedience. Standing on its own, it wouldn't be enough, but putting it in this context, it's helpful because that's what Jesus told us, right? Some of you read it, you know, you, 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 you know, when Jesus talks about, hey, you know, be ready, you know, watch and be ready because nobody knows uh, the time or the hour that the Son of Man is coming. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be ready for the end. I want you to be ready for when that comes. We live in this moment, in this readiness for that to happen. Well, what if this verse is that? What if this verse is a little bit calling us to say, as we think about this battle that we're facing, that he's inviting us into that space? Well, I think it is. I think it is. If it's doing that, it raises a number of questions that would be helpful. By the way, quick technical, because like one person's going to get stuck here. The way he words it, he says a couple of things. He says, we're a part of that, that we're going to punish all disobedience when the obedience is fulfilled. And that simple question I would ask is, like, how are you and I a part of that? I mean, vengeance is God's. How are we a part of that? Well, that's the war you're fighting. If you are fighting sin, if you are fighting against the devil and all that's in our lives, you're involved in a war that's going to end with this. It's going to end with this, and the same weapons that he's inviting you to fight with are the weapons that are going to do that. It's through prayer. It's through the Word of God. It's by His Spirit that God's bringing judgment on the world, and He's going to judge them according to His Word. And so there is a definite connection between what you're doing today and where this is going. Okay, that raises a lot of fun little questions, but it's enough that I may have just made that uh, confusing, but we are fighting with his weapons. That's how we're doing this whole thing. And so I'll just leave that and come back to, so what if this is this? What if verse six is inviting you to see where that's going? Would that be helpful in the war that you and I fight. And I just want to say it is. It is to me. It brings fresh life in it to me because it reminds me that we're fighting a battle from victory. You know, we're going to sing it in song in just a moment, a song that we sing uh, often. We're saying, hey, we're fighting a battle. He's already won. For the win, Jesus died on the cross. When Jesus died and paid the price for our sin, it's done. The battle's been determined. I mean, there's still time on the clock, but it's done. It's done. We find ourselves saying it, and Jesus would look at us, and he'd say, hey, these things I've spoken to me, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've won. I've overcome. The reason you can find hope, 
The reason you can find help is knowing that the battle that we're facing, it's not a battle that uh, is hanging precariously on some, will it work? It's going to work because it's already worked. Jesus has done this, and that means we win. That means in the battle that you and I are fighting, we're going to be victorious. If that's not helpful to you, just that's, that's good. You don't have to go there. But I'm wondering if there's even one person right here this morning that I'm going to say it in a way that will leave you helped. Maybe, maybe you have been more aware of spiritual warfare in your life in the last few weeks than you have in times past, and you might be even frustrated with me over it. Like, I mean, we joke about it in our office. We're like, man, why are we teaching on spiritual warfare? Because we're going through so much spiritual warfare. Like, it's, it's a tough deal. And I'm just wondering if there's someone here this morning that the relentlessness of the struggle is a little bit overwhelming because spiritual warfare is every day. And I'm wondering if someone's here this morning and you feel kind of like that, you know, fable of the man who goes out and there's like a boulder and he pushes the boulder up to the top of the hill and goes back to bed and then the boulder rolls back down and every day it's like, there it is again. Like, every day I'm fighting this thing. And sometimes you begin to think, it doesn't feel like this is working. Like, is this going anywhere? What if I could really convince you that the very battle you're fighting against sin, you are going to win? If you're a follower of Jesus, obedience is what heaven's going to be like for you. You're going to do from the heart everything that God has, like this battle. It's not a different battle. It's the battle you're fighting right now, but it's now the culmination of that battle that Jesus is going to take. What if you really believed that? What if you really could look at what you're facing and go, I know, I know where this goes. I, I know the struggle. I know where I am, but I also know this. I know this, that I'm going to get there. That, you know, we think about what Paul would say in Romans, you know, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Like, you're about to win. It's not in doubt. Like, you're, you win. We, we get to look at this whole thing and say, that's coming. And again, for us personally, you're going to have it. Does it feel impossible to you right now? Do you hear me talk about obedience and you'd be like, that'd be great. It's not me. I'm struggling with that whole thing. And you wonder if you'll ever have it. What have I told you? You're going to. Absolutely going to. In Christ, this is what he's given you. This is where this is going in your life. And I can just be honest. I find that in verse 6 to be like, oh, I needed that. Boy, if we're going to talk about a battle that we're facing, we're fighting a spiritual warfare, verse 6 then comes not as a, a fearful threat, but as a powerful encouragement, like this is going to work. Think about it, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he says, you know, we're going we're to see this and we're going to pray. Hey, your kingdom come. Uh, your will be done on earth as is in, is in heaven. If this locks, locks for you, it's as if we look at it and say, I want that. <laughs> I want heaven. I want the kingdom of God. I want this place where we're going to be fully obedient. But if I really want that, then I'm going to say, God, but help me be a little bit more like that today. Just a little bit more like what I'm going to be in heaven, a little bit more obedient, a little bit closer to what that is, but I know this, this is where it's going. 
I, I know this, this is where it's going. It would be something that would be, well, the Bible uses the word hope. In fact, I'll just put a verse on the screen to give us that space. It tells us in Hebrews 6, hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. When the Bible uses the word hope, most of the time, it has the idea of heaven. That when we think about hope, we're thinking about a heavenly hope. We're thinking about what's ahead of us. And he tells us we have a hope. We have a hope in Christ that he changes the metaphor, not a war, but a storm. In the midst of a crazy life, he says it's an anchor to us. It is an anchor to our soul. If you believe it, if you have hope, if there's a hope that like, it's not always going to be this way. It's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be a fight. Not, and and, and it's not gonna, there's no doubt of the outcome. That hope holds us, anchors us, helps us. And I would put to you, I think that's what this is giving us. Again, if you disagree and you want to say, Jim, no, I think it's just, it, it's just a threat of church discipline. That's because you, you go there. Good company. But I find a breath of life here that just says, do you see what's happening? And, and we're going to look forward to this place where obedience is completed in our life. That's a really good nugget. That's a really good space where he would tell us that's possible, where he would give us this space in this war. I think that's helpful. I just think it really is. I, I think there's a space of being able to gaze on that, see that, and if I've helped you this morning, I long for it to help you. But if that's true, if, if what I see here is correct, and again, I'm just giving you as an if, you can disagree, but if it's true, if that's what it's talking about, there is one more nugget. There is one more nugget that's found in this, and it's a gospel nugget. It's a nugget of, of God speaking out to us here this morning. If this morning you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I tell you there's a war and you're on the wrong side of it? Jesus said it this way, he who is not with me is against me. I recognize that very few people who are not yet followers of Jesus see it this way. They would say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not against Jesus. I'm not against Christianity. I'm just not really for it. Well, you are on the wrong side. And the end is coming, and it's not in doubt. There's a day coming when God is going to punish all disobedience. And if you don't know him this morning, that's about to fall on you. I mean, this, this wrath of God, this, this weight of him judging the world, him, it's going to fall. And it's not just falling on the murderers. It's not just falling on, on, on people who are horrendously bad. Every disobedience is about to be judged. Every disobedience is about to fall, but it hasn't fallen yet. Why? Because God's still giving space for obedience. He's still giving space for you to change. He's still giving space for you, if you're in that category, to change sides before the end of the war to change sides and, and, and to find yourself being rescued. And I want to hold this out to you in a way that would say, hey, if that's you this morning, we're, we're talking to you as clear as we can. This isn't an if, it isn't a maybe, this isn't a, well, you know, no, it's going to happen. Jesus is coming back, and for everyone who is disobedient, who's living a life outside of Christ, you're going to be judged. And he's holding out hope to you. 
I wasn't sure if I was going to share it or not, but I think I'll share it in somebody else's words uh, that will say, same thing I'm trying to say, maybe it'll land uh, for even that one person. So just a little bit longer quote, uh, but just helpful, I hope. Alexander McLaren, looking at it that way, said it this way. But the love which is obligated to smite gives warning that it is ready to avenge long before it lets the blow fall. It does so in order that it may never need to fall. There's a warning here about God judging all disobedience, not because he's, but he's giving a warning because it's a way that you could escape that space where that's going to fall. He goes on to say, as long as it is possible that the disobedient shall become obedient to Christ, he holds back that vengeance that is ready to fall and will one day fall on all disobedience. It's about to. It's about to in that place. It hangs, he says, over the heads of many of us who are all unaware that we walk beneath the shadow of a rock that at any moment may be set in motion and bury us beneath the weight. That's where you are. If you don't know Jesus, it's ready to fall. It's about to crush you. I mean, the judgment of God is about to be there. And so he just appeals to us. It's ready in its readiness, but it's still at rest. He says, let us be wise in time and yield to the merciful weapons with which Jesus would make his way into our hearts. It's ready, but it hasn't fallen yet. It's ready to fall. And, and we're meant to live in light of that. But there's grace. There's grace today that would tell you if that's you this day, it's a good day. It's a good day for you to see the war and know the outcome is not in doubt, but you're on the wrong side if you don't know Jesus. We're inviting you to believe upon Jesus and be saved. We certainly look upon all that's there and would tell you that's a good space for us. So let's do this. You can close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and if that's you, if that's you this morning that you're outside of this and I have said something that would prick that and help that and help you to see it, we're going to pray. We're going to give you a moment to pray, and I'm pleading with you, pray. Playing, give your life to Jesus. Between you and the Lord, say, that's me. I'm on the wrong side of this. And, and ask him to save you. Then after the service, come up and talk to us. We'd love to help and walk you through that even further and, and, and help you understand it and walk with you in that space. If that's you, that's where, a good space for you. If you know Jesus, though, I wonder where that would land, where this idea of what God is calling you to today and even the hope that is ours in the future. So would you take a moment, just talk to him about it quietly. You and the Lord, you talk. I'll do the same, and we'll close together in worship in just a moment.
Jesus, you told us that nobody knows the day or the hour when you're going to come back, but you're coming. And when you do, it's done. Lord, we think about those here that don't know you, and even right now there's hope held out to them, a place where they could, could find themselves turning from their sin and embracing you as their Savior. That Jesus, you, on the cross, paid the price for sin, dying for us, conquering it, rising from the grave, so that all who believe in you, we have life. God, I pray for these who are on the wrong side of eternity and the wrong side of this, that they would be awakened and turn to you. Save them. Thank you that you're still giving space for that, Lord. And yet now as a follower of you, as your son, I come to you and recognize the battle that is so present today. But I do take hope. It's not always going to be this way. You are coming back and sin's going to be done. And I, in Christ, will get to walk in obedience, full obedience. I am looking forward to that. I am so looking forward to that day. I know that's where it's going. And I pray for hope that would speak into our lives today from that. Hope that would help us, but help us even in this moment to take steps of obedience. Obedience that's in you and by you and of you. Yes, please. Teach us, help us, grow us in this right now. We ask for it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God meet you in that. May he help you as we kind of have ended this section on spiritual warfare. I hope it's left you helped. Hope you're growing and finding strength and uplifting and, and, and power in that. If you need have questions, we're here. You can make your way up after the service or at any time reach out to us. But we are longing that you're finding help and strength in it now. Well, with that, we want to kind of close in a worship song. So we want to invite you to stand as we sing that song that uh, I, I mentioned a moment ago that we're fighting a battle that... It's already won. We know where it's going. We know what's going to be in the midst of that. As we head towards that, I want to just speak a benediction over you. Now, we often will speak the benediction out of number six, and we still will probably most often, but I found myself in the last couple weeks just feeling that maybe I wanted to speak a very specific one that applies, a space where the idea is just speaking to you who God is, that you would feel the weight of his wonder and who he is. And this morning, I just want to talk to you about hope. I want to speak a benediction of hope, which once more is this idea of heaven, and the hope that is our eternity. It simply gives it to us there in Romans 15. It simply says, Now, may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace, believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.